This is the Tribal Malfunctions Podcast. Tribal Malfunctions is a thrilling cyberpunk story of gangs, guns, greed, and the power of independent trucking set in 22nd century Boston. I am your host and narrator, Chang Terhune. Now join me please as we enter the strange world of Tribal Malfunctions. Episode 12, oh my god, Travel Malfunctions, 12, we're past 10, we're past 5, jeez, we're past 1. Um, thank you for coming, thank you for listening, very excited to have you here, very excited to keep telling you this uh, story of mine, this weird little thing, um, <clears throat> excuse me, about um, gangs and guns and weird things happening underneath the streets of Boston in the 22nd century. That is the world of tribal malfunctions. I hope you're enjoying the story so far. It's uh, getting interesting. When last we left off, Aris was uh, captured by his uh, arch nemesis, uh, Chadwick Chemo Cho, um, former gang member and now current uh, boss of... um, a rival um, hauler repair business and uh, dude is up to some shady shady shit so like I said we're at episode 12 there's a lot of things happening uh, if you have not been uh, listening before I'm gonna give you a little time to catch up right now it's only like 12 hours Okay, there you go. Sounds like you're all caught up. Once again, thank you to Vindaloo, the uh, wonder chicken from uh, Kawanga uh, Hills, California. Um, and yeah, I think that's really pretty much all I got to say. Last week, you know, I did a little wrap up at the end of uh, how the Travel Malfunctions uh, book began um, and its long period of gestation in my mind to the uh, page and the written word. Um, you can read up on that, and the story will continue. As always, the music is by me as Cathode Ray Tube and my other incarnation, or my other uh, artistic output. Um, the sibilance is meant because I'm special, not because of anything else. And um, as always, there is cussing and swearing, uh, some inappropriate material, some sexual stuff, because that's what happens in these books of mine. And I think that is pretty much it. So let us begin and let us return now to the weird and wild world of Tribal Malfunctions, episode 12. Get cracking.
stories. When asked, subjects were elusive as to how they came to acquire the fat suits, as well as the origin of their alternative uses. Agents speculate it began when miners returning from Europa smuggled surplus gear back to Earth to sell on the black market. These suits in question were decommissioned, then allegedly misplaced after a guard on a loading dock was bribed. Following this incident, these fat suits began showing up in locations across the Pacific Rim Zone, conspicuously in regions where miners returned to, such as the Philippines, Indonesia, Malaysia, and certain outlying Japanese prefectures. While no patient zero for the alternative use of fat suits was ever found, reports appeared almost simultaneously from Manila, Tokyo, Hokkaido, Bangkok, Jakarta, and Hong Kong. Within months, they were spotted in Los Angeles, New York, London, Moscow, Berlin, then shortly thereafter in Hong Kong, Delhi, Lagos, and Oslo. As popularity of fat suits grew, so did demand. Cromdeck, Conlon, Sapersky, and Shea, the company that manufactured the suits, soon developed a commercial version and began to sell them terrestrially, modifying these commercial units for a smart interface with popular brands of sunglasses, athletic shoes, and other items of clothing and accoutrements. While no direct link has been found between the actions of these companies and the gangs, agents are advised to continue monitoring all transmissions between the company and retailers as well as social media and deep web traffic. Excerpted from the FBI's Gang Proliferation Monitoring and Abatement Task Force 2101. Chapter 12, Circle Line As they drove away from the station, Aris resigned himself to the fact that he was in for a long ride and did his best to play it calm. After nonchalantly sitting up, then brushing off as much grime from his coat as he could, he sipped his whiskey while gazing out the window. The liquor did little to calm him, as he was uncertain whether these were the last few minutes before his death. Aris couldn't help but look at Cho, since he occupied almost the entire opposite seat of the limo. Cho had always been big, even the few times he'd seen him back in the day. Aris remembered photos surfacing on the nets when he was still a heavy boy. In a fat suit, Cho was huge, but even without it, he was a fat, well-fed Korean boy in fresh no-tones, baggy shorts, and kinetic design Ayomiyomi t-shirts. Presently, Chadwick Kimo Cho maintained proper heavy boy size without a suit, sprawled there on the cream leather seat across from Aris. He dressed the part of a major player, which he was. Cho's coat was some kind of hybrid animal fur, blue and white, streaked with black in stripes and spots, its kinetic pattern alternating whenever Aris glanced at it. Immaculate black silk pants matched tailored loafers with golden thread silk socks, his initials monogrammed on all three in ornate gold. 
Cho wore a black shirt with shimmering narrow golden pinstripes open to his chest, revealing a series of gold chains over sparse chest hair on tanned skin. Cho's phone rang and he answered, pressing it to his ear while he looked out the window with an amused smile. Both of his hands bore a large gold or silver ring on every finger. One clutched the phone to his head, while the other was wrapped serenely around the ivory head of a gleaming black cane. He wore his hair out these days in a thick black ponytail braided down his back. His goatee was trimmed down, a denuded black shadow forest over the pale rolling hillocks of his face. His eyes were hidden behind Cuomo Gen 7 shades, which Aris knew weren't even available in the States yet. Hey baby, Cho growled into the phone. How are you doing? Aris knew who he was talking to without even guessing. He tried to suppress the idea of Baby G, Mrs. Grace Cho, as Yuki had called her, on the other end talking to her husband in that ball gown and burnished skin. Aris stared out the window as Cho murmured and laughed in response to whatever she was saying. Neighborhoods were gone as they went cruising along a four-lane highway with a river on their left. The New York skyline to their right meant they were heading south. Across the river was either Brooklyn or Queens. Cho finally murmured, Okay, bye darling, then dropped the phone into a pocket on his capacious jacket. He said nothing to Aris as he freshened up his drink, leaned back even more into the seat, the picture of luxury and leisure gazing out the window of his limousine. After a few minutes of contemplative sipping, Aris was about to scream when Cho finally turned the blob of his head and looked at Aris. Ever been to New York before? He said. No, replied Aris. Cho nodded. That's too bad, he said. Greatest city in the world. I mean, every city says that, right? But really, New York's been at the top since the 1950s or so. Uh, really? said Aris. Uh, yeah, really? said Cho. Aris briefly panicked, thinking he'd provoke Cho, but Cho shrugged, then continued. You read it all? There be any history on me? Uh, not much, said Aris, thinking of the mini-lecture he gave Tiny Town. Not really. Well, you should, though, said Cho. It can be boring, but man, once you get past that shit they try to teach you in school, you find some cool shit. I'm serious. Now, know why I say New York is the greatest city in the world? No, said Aris. Well, think about it for a second. Cho drained his glass then poured more whiskey into his tumbler. All throughout history, you got cities coming and going from war, famine, diseases, and whatever, right? I mean, all over the world. Y'all got the Mayans, Aztecs, Egyptians, uh, you got the dynastic Chinese, uh, Cambodians, Hindus, all of that. All them building these giant cities without big machines, nano-builders, or even steam power. Thousands of years ago, they all the shit, but now what? They just another bunch of people acting like the West is the best, learning English and begging to come here to the greatest country in the world. 
Which it is, kind of, but that's another story. Aris had a little trouble matching Cho's thick accent up with the lecture he was giving, but Aris nodded anyway. So, okay, think about some great cities of the world. Uh, London, Paris, Rome, Tokyo, Mumbai, Beijing, Moscow, and all them others. They all took thousands of years to rise up into ruling empires, know what I'm saying? Every one of them. Really, said Aris. Didn't know that. Cho leaned forward to refill Aris' tumbler to within a centimeter below the rim. Drink up, he said. Gonna take a tool around Manhattan. Cho put the bottle back in his holder and licked spilt whiskey from his fingers. Man, I love this shit. 75 years old. Scottish. Locker, caca, or something like that. 500 a bottle. Love it. Aris nodded. So where was I? Oh, oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. So all of them take a long time to be the tops, right? Except for New York. How long you think it took New York to become the greatest city in the world? You want guess? No, said Aris. I mean, I mean, I have no idea. Took about 300 fucking years, said Cho. Fucking 300 years, man. You believe that shit? I mean, look back at most major cities of the world when they were two or three hundred years old, right? Bunch of fucking mud huts with people shitting in the fucking streets. But New York was a major port in the New World, and 200 more years after that, it became the major city in this world. Is that right, said Aris. Yeah, it is, said Cho. And New York is still the greatest city in the world. You got people from all over the world coming here to make it big, live, work, die, fuck, shit, eat, all of that. Whatever you want, we got it here and always will, far as I can tell. Aris nodded unsure of what else to do. Greatest city in the world, Cho rumbled, nodding at his conclusion. Then he held up his glass. To the greatest city in the world! They clinked their crystal tumblers. Whiskey splashed on both their hands. Cho laughed and drank up, stopping for a moment to shout at Aris. Drink up, man! Aris downed the glass in one gulp, and his eyes burned. He coughed hard as Cho laughed. Good stuff, right? Packs a hell of a punch, don't it? Cho said. He dropped his empty tumbler next to the decanter, then looked at Aris. Oh, you still spooked, huh, man? Wish I could prove I ain't gonna hurt you, but I guess you won't believe me unless I let you go. Aris said nothing. Cho shrugged, then removed a small case from another coat pocket. He slid the top off, removed a fat torpedo cigar, then bit the end of this and lit it with a small gold lighter that suddenly appeared in his hand. He tipped the case at Aris. Cigar, he said. "Uh, No thanks. Cho shrugged, then slid the case back into his pocket. Yeah, you know, I didn't recognize you at that uh, dinner a while back, he said, puffing out a cloud of smoke. The limo's ceiling vents swallowed most of the cloud before it could get to Aris. But Gracie, my wife, told me who you were. Aris nodded. I mean, who you was back in a day. Aris swallowed hard and looked out the window again. They were passing a large stone bridge. He wasn't sure which one, but hoped it was near where he'd be let go. 
So you were Boston Massive's cold man, huh? Cho said. You should know, said Aris. Baby G, uh, Grace, stole the codes and gave them to you. Yeah, I was at the Big Battel. Yeah, me too, said Cho, chuckling. Aris nodded. Nothing personal, you know, said Cho. She was just a hot girl, you know what I'm saying? And I don't know it was you and, you know, sorry is all I'm trying to say. Business, man, nothing personal. Business is business. Thanks, said Aris. Uh, can I go now? Cho smiled and ignored this. I got out after that too, he said. Kind of like you. Went to work with my pop, then learned the hauler business. I guess you did too, huh? Kinda, said Aris, thinking, if he's out, then why is he dressing like he's still in? Yeah, it's funny how we're both in this business. We both know Gracie. We're both down and heavy back in a day, said Cho. Aris resisted the urge to ask him why he still had heavy boys working for him. Kind of funny. But let me ask you this. Why were you a Yuki core? Aris' head was swimming from the liquor, but the question drew away the buzz in a cool moment of instant terror. Because I was wondering, said Cho. He stroked his beard with one hand as he gestured with the cigar in the other. And see, well, Yuki won't tell me. Shit, that girl's a fucking piece of work. Mad high like that, but the attitude? Jesus Christ, I belt her if I didn't need her. You know how that is, right? Got people working for you just like to shoot or toss into a compactor. Am I right? Aris looked at Cho briefly, then returned his gaze to the passing cityscape. His neck began to hurt from looking in one direction so hard, while avoiding Cho. So when I see you up on my neighborhood Wonski feed, I think to myself, now this guy's up to some shit, said Cho. So I head down there, but you gone and she won't tell me nothing. I swear to God, one day I'ma knock her on the fuck out. Mad electronic skills or no. But by the way, you left these there. Aris turned in time to see his broken shades flying at him from Cho's pudgy hand. Aris fumbled, but caught them. One lens was broken, and the other was cracked and scuffed. Would have thought someone who was once down and heavy might buy something a little nicer than crap no-co rip-offs, said Cho, looking over the rim of his shades with a frown. But I guess times are tough in Boston, huh? Aris saw the Statue of Liberty slip by Cho's window and the New Jersey skyline behind it. The glow of New York International Spaceport's departing and arriving flights lit the horizon up like permanent fireworks. Yeah, Yuki thinks she got it all locked up there like only she can see shit from her little aluminum tower or whatever, said Cho. But she don't consider that I didn't get where I am, and my pop didn't either, by sitting back and letting other people take care of our shit, you know? So let me ask you again. What you doing down there, little guy? Just uh, following up on report, uh, re repairs we did on Hauler, Aris said, hating how his voice slurred and cracked at the same time. Really? said Cho. The owner of a Boston garage coming all the way down here, following up on a hauler, 
that was in his shop. All by himself? Man, that's some fucking dedication. I ought to do that more. Make me a better businessman, you think? I don't know if I can find the time, like you, you know, what with running five garages in New York, Jersey, and Philadelphia. Uh, yeah, maybe, said ours. Maybe, he says. Huh. But when you duck out a back way from Yuki Core, my boys fucking caught you. I don't know what's sadder, man, that they caught you or you came down here in the first place. <laughs> so you gonna tell me anything or what? Aris said nothing, feeling blood rushing into his ears. Cho shrugged. Fine, he said, then picked up a phone from the handset next to him. Yo, let's get rid of this guy. Yeah, up there is fine. Aris wasn't sure if that meant something else, but hoped he'd live past this encounter. Cho hung up the phone, puffed a cigar, then leaned forward. Slow will be over in a minute or two, he said. Since I guess you ain't gonna say anything else, we're done here. No hard feelings, guy? Cho's fat hand reached out. Aris looked at him and then his outstretched hand, noting how Cho breathed harder as he leaned forward. Aris, glad the meeting was ending and he wasn't missing a finger or more, leaned forward Cho clutched Aris' hand, then swung the red-hot cigar coal down on the back of him. The pain was almost as intense as Aris' own anger for falling for this ruse. Don't fucking move. Come fucking sniffing around my shit like you think I'm shit? Fuck that. Won't play that game? Then you take it like a fucking man or I will fucking stab you and dump you in a river. Cho hissed. The cigar burned as Aris smelled his own cooking flesh mixed with cigar smoke. Whatever you're up to, just fucking knock it off. I ain't crossing your name out today because Grace said you were kind and gentle back at that ball instead of being a wimpy bitch. So thank her next time you see her. But better hope you never ever do. Choke ground the coal and harder. Ara screamed aloud, grabbing the leather strap hanging near his seat, twisting it hard. So this is a warning. You stay out of my shit. Go back to your nice life up there in Boston with your little garage and your little family, said Cho. He was sweating now, wheezing, clearly excited at the pain he inflicted on ours. Because if I catch you within a fucking mile of that fucking bitch Yuki or my fucking warehouse, I'm coming for you myself to finish what I started here. The coal extinguished as Cho pushed it further into Ara's hand. And once I'm done with you, then I'll start in on your wife, Manea. Aris glared at Cho, who licked his lips. That's right. She ain't no baby G, but she got an ass on her, though, am I right? So I'll put her through a little of the Cho business, then I'll kill her, before I do you. Don't touch them, Aris whispered. If you do, I'll... And just so you don't think I'm a perv or nothing, all I'll do is straight up fucking kill your kids. Oh, and your mother-in-law. Cause people who fuck with kids are scum. And I hate old pussy. Then I'll set fire to your fucking house while you're still alive in it. I'd do more, but I want you to know I ain't such a bad guy. Joe lifted the cigar from Ara's hand and let go. A small smile widening his jowls. Aris dropped back and panted, looking at the wound. Cho slid back into his seat 
and wiped perspiration from his face with a silk hanky. Because believe me when I say I could do a whole lot worse than that. I could make everyone you know wish you'd never been born, then make them wish they'd never been born either. The limo slowed as they rolled up to the same corner outside Penn Station he'd stood on earlier that day. It seemed a lifetime ago. But as one businessman to another, I'll just leave you with a little nick. The door opened. One of the heavy boys stood outside, blocking Aura's exit. Now get the fuck out my rules before I change my mind. The heavy boy reached inside to grab Aris. With a little extra lift from the fat suit, he threw him clear of the limo to the sidewalk. Aris rolled into some pedestrians who screamed as they fell under his impact. Aris stood watching the limo take off into traffic, a sun-colored pearl disappearing into the stream of winking red taillights. Without speaking to the people he collided with, Aris ran into the station and caught the next train to Boston with only a minute to spare. That's episode 12. Getting crazy, getting nutty, getting, oh, it's getting violent, cho, mm, threats and recriminations. Oh, man. Um, hope you liked it, uh, as I liked writing it. Hey, I want to talk a little bit about accents and stuff. Uh, I feel like I kind of got to say this. Um, in case you haven't uh, known, I'm white. I'm very white. I'm six and a half foot tall, blonde, poster child of the patriarchy, right, uh, white. Um, so, you know, I know that. Um... And when I do the accents, man, I just, as I've said before, I love accents. I love people's voices. Don't do it to denigrate or make fun or anything like that. Um, and when I do this one, especially Cho, like, bear in mind, these guys all, like a lot of uh, guys I know from across different cultural and ethnic backgrounds, emulate um, hip-hop and um, what's essentially black culture. So, uh, a Korean guy talking like that, well, um, I know we've all seen it. I know I've seen it in friends of mine. Um, so, and nothing wrong with that. But, uh, just giving it some realism. Just giving the thing a little color, uh, so to speak. Some, uh, some depth. Some, uh, content. Yeah. Anyway, so, that's that. That's a word on voices. Um, and I think that's pretty much it for this one join us again next week episode 13 tribal malfunctions where um things continue the plot as always thickens and thickens 
like the Dickens. Okay, that is it. Peace out, Cub Scout, and as always, namaste. Namaste.